0: Our Father, we thank you for calling us to be your children and to the freedom of free grace. What a joy it is to know that we don't have to make ourselves lovely in your sight through works of the law, uh, because that's something we cannot do. Thank you for Christ, whose perfect righteousness was reckoned to all who believe, so that we are lovely in your sight in him. Please, Father, don't let us twist and abuse that freedom. Please remind us by your word and spirit, even this morning, that as your people, we are to be holy as you are holy. We thank you, Father, for the freedom, both from the guilt of sin and its bondage. May we enjoy both, both freedoms of the gospel in equal measure. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. The Apostle Paul. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Amen, this is God's word. You may be seated Uh, America is called the sweet land of liberty, the land of the free, let freedom ring, give me liberty or give me death, liberty and justice for all. We are uh, the don't tread on me state. Americans have strong opinions about freedom. On Independence Day this year, I was pondering this question. Does independence always equal freedom? Independence from tyrannical rulers? Yes. Independence to write a constitution and be a self-sustained country? Yes, probably most of the time. But when, if ever, is independence bondage instead of freedom? As some of the freest people to ever breathe air on this planet, we can get a little huffy when people infringe on our independence, thinking they're they're infringing on my freedom. I'm a rather independent personality myself by nature, and as a family man, my independence is restricted. At times, that restriction feels like a limitation on my freedom, but is it really? Are independence and freedom the same thing? I hear this line, and I've said it myself. uh, I just want to have the freedom to do what I want. But probe your own heart about that. Will doing the things that dwell there in your own heart really be freedom to you. I think if you just do what you want to do and follow that out to its conclusion, you'll find in short order that you're sleeping under a bridge. If freedom equals doing what we want, then we are bound slavishly to our own wills, unable to serve those around us. True freedom, as we'll see in these verses, is, as the title suggests this morning, the freedom to serve. And that is when we can enjoy our, our freedom most, when we give of ourselves, our wants, our longings, so that we're engaged in lives of submission to God and to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this morning, we'll think briefly about freedom, kind of definitionally. Uh, First, what freedom is, and then three things of what freedom is not from this text. What freedom is and what freedom is not. So first, what freedom is, verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, in the, the great... Book Pilgrim's Progress. I think is that like the most old book besides the Bible, or at least it was at one point. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar. The, the main character Christian reads in a little book, uh, the Bible, of a coming judgment, and he finds himself under a great burden, the burden of sin and guilt. And a man named Evangelist tells him which way to go to be rid of his burden uh, through yonder wicked gate. Right. And on his way to the gate, he encounters. Mr. Worldly Wise. Mr. Worldly Wise pooh-poohs evangelist's dangerous and laborious method of being rid of burdens. And he says, I know a shortcut. You can go to this guy named uh, Mr. Legality. And he can relieve you of your burdens. Mr. Legality lives over there by that hill. So Christian follows his advice, goes over by the hill. And as he passes by the hill, he starts to realize how tall it is. And it's leaning over the, 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 the path as though it were going to fall on him. And he stands there questioning Mr. Worldly Wise Advice. His burden is feeling much more heavy as he's going towards Mr. Legality's house. Uh, Bunyan identifies that hill as Mount Sinai, as the law. Evangelist encounters, encounters him a second time. He, he says, why did you go this way? I told you to go to the wicker gate. Why are you going to Mr. Legality's house? I think Paul is evangelist here. He's wondering about the Galatians. I told you to go to the wicker gate. I told you to go to Christ. And instead you're going to Legality, Mr. Legality's house. You're going back to Sinai. Didn't God call you through the gospel that I preached? What wasn't it not freedom that God called you to? You've taken the advice of worldly counselors. And they've led you not to freedom, as you suppose, but to bondage. You were called to freedom, brothers, he tells them. The freedom of the call of God is freedom from the tyranny of the law. That ominous, overhanging mountain. Freedom from that law. Without Christ, we're left alone to try to make ourselves look pretty in the sight of God through the law. And that really is a peculiar kind of torture, an agonizing bondage to bear. It's like being locked in a prison with 50 foot thick granite walls. And somebody gives you a toothpick and says, if you can dig your way out, you're welcome to go. You're free. But in Christ, we have been called by the very king, by the very judge, out of the dungeon, and we've been pardoned. We've been free. not because we've made a valiant effort with our toothpick, but because someone else paid our debts. You were called to freedom. You are no longer a slave to that cruel taskmaster of the law. Uh, you, you don't have to keep up appearances. Guess what? God knows you're bad, and so does everybody else. You don't have to feel like that kid who's never good enough for his parents. You don't have to try to earn the favor of the Lord by works of the law. We feel that way sometimes, right? I don't go to church, I don't get my attitude straightened out. If I don't pray, if I don't serve my family, I'm not going to be good enough for God. Well, you're not good enough for God. And guess what? You should do all those things, but even if you do all of those things, that won't earn you merit for God. Because one transgression against a perfectly holy God is a God who's altogether righteous that creates an eternal debt that we can't pay back by more works freedom means that in Christ that law no longer hangs over our heads as a certificate of debt and decrees against us because those decrees have been nailed to the cross that's what Colossians 2 says Colossians 2.14 says that he cancelled the record of debts that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross That's what our freedom is freedom from the tyranny of the law. Now, I want to look at what the law or what freedom is not. Uh, And this is so important because it's been so misunderstood in our culture and the broader church. Freedom from the law has been interpreted as we're no longer obligated to obey the law, the moral law. Christians don't have to keep the Sabbath. Christians don't have to attend church. They don't have to give. They don't have to use discretion in their entertainment choices. If You say those things directly, of course, but that's the attitude. Anything that smacks of duty is labeled law. And law has been categorically rejected. Instead, we are told that we've been given this New Testament law, the law of love. And it's very vague. And yes, we have been given the law of love. Never mind that love is the summary of the two greatest commandments, which are the summary of the Ten Commandments, which are the expression of God's character. So it's important that we define freedom carefully. What freedom is not? First thing that freedom is not is freedom is not license. Freedom is not license. Uh, Freedom to do whatever we wish would be wonderful wouldn't it? If the things we wished for weren't bondage to us. Even as Christians, we have our own Mr. Hyde. We're still tethered to that body of death, the old man. Uh, Thinking about freedom as an all-you-can-eat smorgasbord of desire and fantasy is an invitation for Mr. Hyde to come to the party. Isn't that why Paul warns us here? He says, you were called to freedom Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, if we were glorified, if we didn't have the the genetic recessive disorder of Adam's spiritual DNA in us, we could enjoy freedom without these caveats. If we wanted what God wanted, we would be free indeed. But as as it is, we have the abiding flesh. Now, when Paul says flesh, he's not talking about skin, muscle muscle tissue. Those are good things. We're not dualists. We know we'll have our bodies in the new earth. When he says flesh, he's talking about our propensity towards sin. If we leave the door open for that flesh, it will come into the room. It's like my dog Burkhoff. If you leave a car door open, like any car door, you will find him sitting in the passenger seat, ready to go wherever you're going the flesh will come in if you leave the door open for it. I love the, uh, the old King James version of 1 Peter 2, 16, where he says basically the same thing he's saying here. He says, do not use your freedom as a cloak for vice. Isn't that beautiful? Do not le- use your freedom as a cloak for vice. It's so easy to use freedom as a cloak for vice, to go that one step further, from enjoying the good things of God to gluttony and drunkenness, from enjoying the artistic and creative genius of fellow image bearers to indulging in sensual lusts and passions of the flesh. And in First Peter two sixteen, the context is obedience to human institutions. He says, and this is my paraphrase, Obey human institutions for the Lord's sake, as freemen. They're not your chief authority, but Christ is. But obey them as servants of God, because that brings honor and glory to God. When you honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the empire, emperor. Which I know, in this present moment, is a touchy subject. And I'd like to pass over it. But <laughs> here, uh, here we are. I just want to point out that there is a real temptation to use freedom here as an opportunity for the flesh, especially when we think our human institutions are being foolish and silly and unjust. I personally, I'll I'll keep it in the first person plural or singular. I would like to say my allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom alone. I am subject to him and him only. While we are ultimately subject to him, we must remember that even as he's appointed ministers in his church to care for her, he has appointed ministers and authorities in the States to to care for it as well. I'm not interested in meddling in your conscience here, but I would ask you during this season to probe your own conscience and ask yourself, am I living free or am I using my freedom as a cloak for vice? Am I crossing some lines in the name of my freedom? I confess that I have. Freedom is not license. That's the first thing that freedom is not. It's not an opportunity for the flesh. Now, the second thing that freedom is not is it's not autonomy. We talked about this before. Freedom is not autonomy in at least two ways. First, we're not autonomously governed. In other words, that famed law of love is not a self-defined love. It's a God-defined love. Love is defined by the will and the law of God. Secondly, the second way it's not autonomy is we're not to live autonomously. That is, the free life is not lived alone. As the message title implies, free to serve. Service implies community. We need each other. Before we get into it, I should probably define autonomy a little bit. Autonomy is kind of self-contained decision and response. Thinking and acting without any outside influence. Uh, One example is an autonomous robot. They're, They're programmed to observe their environment, to make decisions, and to execute operations without anyone pressing a button or using a remote control. Uh, my parents have one of those autonomous vacuums. And they're amazing. You, you, you get it and you set it up and you let it go and it goes around mapping your house. And when it's about to run out of battery, it knows and it goes back to its charging port. And when it's time to vacuum, it goes out and vacuums the house. It's autonomous. that That's the idea. That's what autonomy means. And freedom is not autonomy. Uh, the first way it's not autonomy is its not, we're not autonomous from God's law. Notice the contrast here. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. The problem with that word love is it's been commandeered by the world. Uh, It's come to mean a blind acceptance of ideals without reservation. If I disagree with you and say you're wrong, that's unloving. Loving is something that is self-defined. It's self-pronounced. And it's usually an emotion rather than an action. What's profound to me in these verses is that in order to balance freedom from the law, he turns to law. That's paradoxical. But it's such a healthy way to view it. And I want to make sure you understand what I'm seeing here. That when he says, in love, serve one another, what is love but the summary of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those two great commandments are the summary of the Ten Commandments. As we saw this morning, there's two tables of the law. Our duty to man and our duty to God. One through four and five through ten, respectively. Although I think the Sabbath is something of a, of a duty toward both man and God. That's another sermon altogether so in other words, yes, you are free from the tyranny of the law, but don't think for a second that you are free from obedience to the moral law. Lawkeeping as a, as a means to earn merit before God is bondage. That's debt. Law fulfillment as a spirit born child of God is the fruit of life. Understand that? The gospel, we've been freed from the guilt of sin, but we have also been freed from the bondage of sin. Now, in case you find that interpretation suspect, it's confirmed blatantly in verse 14 for the law is fulfilled in one word you shall. Obey. Now briefly, why do you think he says the whole law is fulfilled when he mentions only the second greatest commandment? It's because you cannot love men or you can love men in a worldly sense without loving God. But you cannot love God without loving his people. 1 John 4, 7-8 through 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So you can see freedom from the law is not licensed to disobey the law or to cast it off. Instead, freedom from the law's tyranny gives us an opportunity to fulfill the law in a way we could not before. So it leads to our second point about autonomy. The first is that freedom is not autonomy from God and his law. And second, freedom is not autonomy from God's people. It's not individualism. Paul employs the most ironic language here. It's funny, it's not immediately obvious in the English. He says in verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And that verb serve in the Greek is, is the verbal form of the word doulos, which you may know is the word slave. Isn't that funny you were called to freedom, but serve one another, doulos one another. It's interesting. There are other words he could have used to express the idea of service, but he chose this strong word. Uh, you know, The autonomous vacuum serves its owners, but there's no sense of ownership and mutual submission. In the Christian community, We make a major mistake if we think we are autonomous participants who then chip in to help out where we can. The Bible's conception is the other way around. In the Bible, our first identity is corporate, and that identity defines our individual identities. We are a body, an organic whole, consisting of various interconnected parts, each tailored to various purposes. As Colossians says, we are holding fast to the head who is Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. That's the picture of our identity in Christ. It's corporate first, extending to the individual. So that, that verbal form of the word do loss" is, is appropriate. There's a sense of ownership that we, uh, we possess and are possessed by one another. Through love, we serve one another because we are connected to one another, and that's the context of the, the the old favorite "Don't skip church" verse. We're all familiar with that one, right? Not neglecting to meet together is the, is the habit of some, but what's the context? We'll read a little, a few of the uh, surrounding context here. Hebrews ten. Twenty-three through twenty-five. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we have some actions here, and we have some means to accomplish those actions. The actions are hold fast to your confession, stir up each other to good works. What are the means by which that is accomplished? Not neglecting to meet together, encouraging each other. The two things go hand in hand. To suppose that we can have a confession without others around us to help us confess is silly. The idea that we can stir one another up to love and good works without others around us, or that we can participate in that action by ourselves, is silly. So freedom is not autonomy. Freedom from God and His perfect revealed law, that's not freedom. And it's not autonomy from God's people. The, the, the freest man to ever don human skin exemplified these realities. He came not to do His own will, He says, but the will of the Father. He cried out to the Father before the cross that His cup of wrath might pass from Him. And he said, not my will, Jesus be done he submitted to God's law and he, he was perfect He also served his brothers and loved he stooped to wash our feet And God incarnate was beat to a bloody pulp and pinned to a cross 1 John 3:16 By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers So freedom is not autonomy. I think sometimes we think that the debates about the function of the law in the Christian life are best left to the ivory tower, uh, best left to the scholars, and perhaps you're not aware that there are debates about the function of the law in the Christian life, but they certainly are, and they're not best left to the ivory tower. They are eminently practical. I hope you're starting to see that these doctrines are so important for the way we walk in our daily life. And that's why I've called it this final point uh, freedom is not trivial. Freedom is not trivial. Think about the famous love chapter. Uh, what are love's attributes? Love is patient, kind, kind, does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That, those are the attributes of love, at least some of them. But what if we were to flip it, state the opposite? Instead of patience, impatience, mean, covetous, braggadocious, arrogant, rude, always insisting on its own way, irritable and resentful, approving of wrong with applause, grieving, telling the truth, not bearing anything, skeptical of all things, despairs all things, wilts under pressure and trial and persecution. Now, just speaking pragmatically, I mean, even if it's a business, which organization will be the healthiest? The one marked by love and its attributes or by the bizarro world of love attributes? Bizarro world's like a square planet and it is a comic book. It's the opposite of Superman's world and everything's opposite. There's the love attributes and the bizarro love attributes. I know each of us has seen the fruit of these anti-love attributes in the church and elsewhere. One person insisting on his own way. One person who is arrogant and rude. One person who is impatient and does not bear with anything. Let alone several of these people will bring an institution to its knees in a heartbeat. And you can see how these attributes would grow out of a misinformed understanding of freedom. If I believe I am entitled If my understanding of freedom is I have the right to flex my will as I please rather than submitting to the will of God and the will and needs of my brothers and sisters, you can see how we would be marked out by the opposite of love. I think we can roughly assign two words as suitable substitutes for love, submission and service. You shall submit and serve submit to and serve your neighbor as yourself. That's not comprehensive, perhaps, but it covers a lot. Now, God is love, and of course he must insist on his own way. He he submits to no man except in the humanity of Christ, stooping to serve. But I think that's why we might call God love. God is love. He is the standard. He is the highest authority and the highest good to which we must submit. So he insists on his own way. Rather than insisting on our own way, we insist on and submit to his way. That's love. Now conversely here, if you bite and devour one another, he says in verse 15, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This word bite literally means to bite. It's used in the Old Testament sometimes of serpent bites. One example is uh, when Jacob is pronouncing his blessings over his sons and he he says of his son Dan, Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper in the path that bites the horse's heels. That's that's the same word as biting. The word to devour means to consume by eating, literally. So this is figurative, of course, but it's a warning. If you keep biting and devouring one another, watch out. Watch out. You you keep attacking and wounding and fighting, cannibalizing one another. One of these days, you're going to turn around and the church will be in ruins. That's a solemn warning. I believe this year of upheaval has been a real test for the American church in this regard. And from what I've seen, much of it hasn't fared too well. I'm grateful that thus far our little communion has been, from what I can see, not perfect, but by and large, by God's mercy, a model of love. But I'm in a position where I can hear what's going on behind the scenes in quite a few fellowships. And this has been a real trial. Pressure has a way of exposing our sin, and the attribute that I've seen that most sticks out is insisting on its own way. I say these things not to pat ourselves on the back or condemn others, but to say we need to be constant in prayer. We need to be constantly submitting ourselves to God's Word, constant in fellowship with one another and in the Lord. The devil would love nothing more than to use the discord that does reside within each of our hearts and bring it to the surface so that people would begin to bite and devour one another. We need to constantly be checking our own hearts and repenting of the hatred that abides within each one. The call of this text to summarize call of this text to the people of God is a warning watch out lest you use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh instead through love serve one another and so preserve the peace and unity of Christ's church now I could find no better words to close this sermon with than Paul's um, from Ephesians chapter 5 Is listen carefully to the way that this summarizes the points he's making here in Galatians. Ephesians 5:15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is.